Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. This is episode 9, and in this episode, we're talking about the Chaos Cup Finals. Today we are talking about the Chaos Cup Finals, if you're unfamiliar, in the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. All the open competitions end with a four-man bracket, two semifinals, and a finals match. All three have concluded. I am here tonight with Clypheus. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. What about yourself? Pretty good. You you won this competition. You were undefeated in this competition. Congratulations on your victory. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Your record was 5-2-0, and zero, so two draws, five wins, no losses. The only team to be undefeated at the end of this competition you played you played this team very very well and very interestingly in in my opinion i have two questions for you first this is your first blood bowl this is your first standard blood bowl competition of course you won the off season competition the batter bowl and now you're here in regular play in regular season play how how has your experience been playing sort of normal blood bowl and what do you think about chaos dwarves so there's definitely a huge difference in the way that this goes as opposed to the mixed team tournament in the batter bowl. Uh, there's way less just absolute nonsense going on. You know, there's nobody who has just absolutely bizarre team makeups or anything like that. Uh, so it's definitely been a, a major change of pace. Uh, the teams you play, you could get a better handle as to what their strategy is going to be, things like that. As for playing Chaos Dwarves, I think that they've been a really good team. They have a lot of uh, different options available to them, uh, not passing. But other than that, uh, you can use them to try to bash. They also have a little bit of speed, especially with the bull centaurs. So if there's a target you need to get to, uh, to either tie up or try to knock down, you have some options to get there. Uh, you have a reasonable chance of moving nine spaces with one of them, although sometimes that has worked out very poorly for me. Uh, but they have a lot of options with trying to tie up players because they have fairly high armor. So it gives you a lot of flexibility depending on what the opponent, uh, what their team is and what they're trying to do. Yeah, you you leveraged field positioning very well in this competition you did so in this finals bracket as well, in my opinion. An interesting strategy to take with a Castorf team. Worked out for you, obviously. And we'll get into the nitty-gritty of that as we discuss these games. Why don't we get into it? The first game was a reptile dysfunction at Tracksuit Mafia. That was League Champion Nick Satan, his Lizardmen team, versus Merrick Chaos Cup, or the reigning Chaos Cup champion, with his Chaos Dwarf team. What do you think about Merrick's strategy going into this game? I think I think Merrick has played this Chaos team to be a murder team, which is typically fine for a Chaos team. At low TVs, however, it's the first competition of the season. Everybody's low TV. At low TVs, I think it makes more sense to, if you want to play murder ball, do that against the weaker teams. But when you're against the stronger teams, maybe maybe play a little more bashy. He could have fallen back on his his dwarven roots in season one and played a little more of a standard bashy game. We're, we're about to talk about the game. I don't think this strategy worked out for him in the beginning of the game. I think he changed it up later in the game. 
But what are your thoughts on how he started his game against Nick Satan in the semifinals? I I agree. I think that there's some strategic uh, decisions to be made with that. The the biggest issue with a team like uh, Chaos going up against a team like Lizardman is, even though he had, I believe, four Beastmen um, with Claw, that's only helpful if you can actually get good blocks in, and Claw only helps against the Sauruses. It doesn't help take down the Skinks, which are still going to give you a, a little bit of trouble. So it winds up being difficult to get all of the two-die blocks with Beastmen, and when you're going that aggressive, when you're trying to play murder ball, that's what you've got to be doing. You've got to be knocking people down, hoping to get injuries. And even with basically everything becoming an 8-plus on uh, getting an injury, that still isn't a guarantee. And if it takes you out of field position, if it puts the other person in the ability to dodge a skink past you, things like that, you know, it could be dangerous to play that way. I agree. Uh, I think he should have focused more on hunting those skinks. Of course, Nick Satan would not have made that easy. But otherwise, a lot of his turns in the first half, or rather at the beginning of the game, were to just go toe-to-toe, mark players, take hits, hope for the best, didn't work out, now he's given up blocks. And I think that's very dangerous when you're up against a team that has a lot of strength for, they have a sneaky get player, and they have a mighty blow player. And I, I think it bit him in this game. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was talking about there. If you don't knock them down with your own block, you've got strength four, so you've got two dice coming back on almost every block. You've got eight AV on the beastman, which is better than the seven AV with you know that you're generating with claw, but not enough better in my view uh, that you're going to want to go block to block every single time because with you know the majority of your players having three strength. And a lot of his having four, they're going to be getting more two-die blocks than you are. I mean, sure, you have horns, but you can only use that on the one blitz. You know, horns is gives you a plus one to your strength. So it effectively, all since all of the beastmen have it, it's going to wind up generating probably one two-die block per turn. But probably only the one, at least without using a lot of assists. Well, in the beginning of the game, he, he tried caging at the ball. Around turn three, missed an opportunity to take a one-die skilled block against Asaris with his Chaos Warrior. His Chaos Warrior had the block skill, the Saris didn't. That freed up that Saris to move. Locking down Saris is generally really effective. They only have an AG of one. If, if they're in a tackle zone, they're not going anywhere. Except, of course, for the odd PPFC <laughs> double Saris dodge. <laughs> But that allowed that Saris to, to move to the right and secure the right side of the cage along with a skink. This is something that I think your team, you and your team, has brought to the league. I think Nick Satan has watched your matches. And, and in this instance, he, he internalized how you play with field position. And I think he did a pretty good job here in the to, to open this match. He had two players dedicated to shutting down the run on the right-hand side, and it was very effective. Well done to Nick Satan, but then that sort of goaded Tracksuit Mafia to move left, and that's exactly what he did. He moved the cage into the left wide zone, and at that point, you've cut off one of your movement options, right? You can't move left anymore. There's a sideline there, and Nick Satan capitalized on that and just pounced on that cage. Right, and... And that was something that Nick Satan did very well uh, the entire game was 
keeping an eye on the positioning, trying to make sure that he kept his sources as free as possible, uh, to give them as much maneuverability as possible. Uh, there were also a few times he was using um, blitzes to try to get his players, especially the sources, into into better positions. You know, try to keep his skink back as much as he could. Uh, and Merrick was trying to break through. And again, he had that same problem with it's hard for str three strength players to break through uh, a four strength defense because if you want to get two dice on it, you got to get a couple of assists. And with the positioning that, uh, that Nick Satan was putting in place, that made, he made it really difficult for Tracksuit Mafia to ever get a position where he could effectively get good two die blocks and then move forward. I agree. I, I would have actually liked to see the, the odd passing game with this team. We saw it in the second half. We'll talk about it when we get to that point in the match. But just pull if you can pull somebody away, pull off one Saris, do something that gives that increases your chances of getting that two die blitz on someone, on creating space, on giving yourself movement options. Instead, he ended up consolidating his team. He had seven players in a three by three grid. I think that was a mistake. That was just that was just I mean if there was a fireball, <laughs> that would have gone off at that moment. Uh, but that gave a reptile dysfunction all the freedom in the world to just move where they wanted to be, to reposition. Not only that, but Tracksuit Mafia ends up a turn later on turn five. When they set that cage up in the left wide zone, they set it up where they're already marked by three players. So that's that's inviting a blitz to come if if Nick Satan wants to take it. Yeah, it's always dangerous to set up a cage where there's anyone already marking the cage to a certain extent, depending on what's marking you. If it's just a skink and you've got a chaos warrior or something, how much are you actually concerned about that when you have Taurus is marking the corner of your cage? Although on the other side, there's only so much you could do while the, the beastmen and the chaos warriors do have a, an AG of three so they could dodge away a little bit to try to do that you know it gets really difficult with how much he was getting tied up to make an actual cage but there's only so many options uh, that are open to you especially when you have a team that uh, you know is very bashy i agree and lizardman teams i think are one of the best lizardman rather are one of the best races in the game chaos is no slouch either but i think chaos is its weakest at low tv they start to become a nightmare once they pick up claw or pick up piling on mighty blow you know the, the the trifecta of disaster he's not there yet however a reptile dysfunction had a sneaky get that's a that's a player who that's that was meatwad of new jersey the skink that's a player who when they take a foul if they roll doubles typically you get called off but not with a sneaky get if this foul doesn't succeed so he had that, and he had a player with Mighty Blow, and he used that to his advantage to get a four-man player advantage by the end of the half. That is really, really scary, and I would not want to give up those blocks at all. I would I would back off. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the things going into the game, and I believe that Nick Satan had a bribe in this game as well. Uh, I don't remember exactly, yeah, I think he did. Uh, so you've got player with, with sneaky get. You've got several skinks around. You may not be that concerned, even if you 
get a couple of them called off if you can take out a higher value opposing player. You have one or two skinks to run the ball and can keep those safe. You know, if you use a couple of skinks and you manage to take out some of the higher value players like Minotaur, Chaos Warrior, things like that. And with all the knockdowns both teams were getting, there were always targets, you know, with several assists for him to foul. And he did a really good job of after he'd taken his blocks, if, you know, he still had, you know, if there'd not been a turnover at that point, he was going to find the best target to foul, surround them with skinks and try to take them off the pitch. Indeed. And speaking of those skinks, they are so fast. They have an MA of eight. Nick Satan was able to score at the end of the first half with with two skinks. I mean, they they are lightning quick. Yeah, that that is one of the things about the skinks is for almost any team, Skaven maybe uh, and Elves is an exception. If they get past you, you're probably not catching up with them. So you've got essentially about a one turn window from when they get out of range up pitch from you until they get out of range down pitch from you and if you can't stop them in that you know kind of one turn window if you only get a push or you don't have the ability to get enough players around them or you can't secure the ball they're just going to run past you grab the ball go score and you know that was basically what happened there at the end of the first half and you can't ask for much better especially in a playoff game if you can score when you're on defense that is a fantastic place to be the second half would start with tracksuit mafia on defense they need to find a way to get this ball back and score and that's just to tie the game often when you are down going into the second half when you are on offense in the first half you're playing for the draw and you're just hoping for the coin flip tracksuit mafia had an opportunity on turn 10 there was a half cage set up on the left side of the pitch by Nick Satan. Trexit Mafia had an opportunity to go after that cage and apply some pressure to it. And it unfortunately looked like he he misclicked. He made a, or he tried to make a six plus dodge. Didn't work out. Then he spent the TRR on it, which I think I would have just eaten it and not spent the TRR. But he really, he didn't want to go down 2-0, which I understand. Spent the TRR, didn't work out. Man, that, that is rough. I... I don't know. I mean, we've all done it. We're all going to do it. But it is so heartbreaking to see. <laughs> I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but I have to imagine it was a misclick when he went for that six that six plus dodge. I could not see any reason why he wanted to do that. Yeah, I, I was very surprised by that, too. And and that is one of the things. It's hard to know whether somebody is has misclicked or whether they're trying to be a, they take a very, very a high risk, high reward uh, situation. And once he'd already done it, you know, he was kind of committed. If he realized that that was going to cost him the game, go down two one or two zero, and that was going to be that, might as well spend the TRR if it's that or the game. Uh, and that may have been what Merrick felt at that point. I don't know, but yeah, that was, you know, that was uh, very damaging uh, at the beginning of the second half there. Sure, and it did indeed cost him the game. He would go down two zero because of that, and that would basically be the game. Merrick and Tracksuit Mafia would rally a little bit. In the, in the final quarter of play on turn 14, this is when he f- he changed up his strategy. This is when he was like, you know what? I can't go toe-to-toe. I need to do something else. He set up a pass and it worked out. He didn't have any TRRs left at this point, which made it fairly risky. But I think if he would have done that on offense in the first half, he would have been a lot more successful on his offense. I think that was the right play. And I give him props for sort of adjusting and figuring out how to 
get around erectile dysfunction rather than trying to go toe to toe with giant. I mean, they're lizards. They're going to eat you. Yeah. And, and that was, I was very surprised given the way that Merrick had been playing very much just surround the ball carrier, protect the ball carrier, try to make sure that you're staying all in formation, keeping a tight grouping the whole time when he all of a sudden just shot out of you know the cage, passed to one beastman that was basically free, and then just ran that beastman down the pitch. I have to imagine that Nick Staten was very surprised by that as well, because his team wasn't in position to really handle that at that point. I think that he was very surprised about the change of strategy and didn't have the ability to quickly enough recover. Not that it was absolutely critical that he do. Uh, at that point, it might have been fine from his perspective to let Tracksuit Mafia score and just keep yourself safe, take some hits instead. That might be more valuable for you, since even if Tracksuit Mafia at that point does score, you probably could hold on for the next turn or two uh, until the end of the game. Sure. He went, he as Nick Satan, went really aggressive on the ball carrier again. He did that all game. Again, I have to give props to Merrick for for recognizing it this time. Perhaps it was too little too late, but still being able to adjust like that, I, I think, was was good on his part. And he can carry that over. He can carry that knowledge over into the next competition. I liken Blood Bowl a lot to fighting games. And it's always satisfying to me that even if I don't win a match, if somebody's beating me with the same combo over and over and over again, and I finally understand. I'm like, aha, I see what you're doing and you can't do it anymore. I, I find that very rewarding. I think... I think Merrick was finally able to do that with that that TD. That pass ended up scoring him a TD, and that would uh, put the game at 2-1, so good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And that game also wound up having a little bit of a dramatic close to it on turn 16 with a fairly rare outcome of two players injured on the same uh, both-down result. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a reptile dysfunction. Uh, they took a two-die block. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it was a two-die block. They got an injury. It was both that result. They injured their own Saurus. Yeah. Uh, spent the oppo on it and saved them. But then killed the beast man. <laughs> yeah. I... I, I... I be- if I recall correctly, the I don't know if the Beastman leveled up on that or what it was, but the Beastman got the, the SPP from injuring the Saurus right before it died. <laughs> ah, that is, that is salt in the wound. <laughs> it, it really does just add insult to injury as far as that goes. But I mean, that's Blood Bowl for you. You know, things like that do occasionally happen. And yeah, it you is. get a both down result. Both get injured. It's it's certainly a, a fantastic way for the game to go uh, toward to the end there. Ah, there's only one thing I like more than a GG foul. That's a GD, GG death. I'll, I'll yep, take it. There you go. A reptile dysfunction would come out on top of this game. Two to one. They would advance to the finals match and they would be playing the winner of this game. Your game. Pips Pippi fan club at knee high to nuffle. Pips Pippi fan club coached by El Nubarino. That is Another Lizardman team. Nihad and Uffle, Chaos Storbs, that's your team. This was a drama-filled game. This was so exciting to watch. Oh, man. It, and it was exhausting to play. Because, you know, <laughs> it, by the time this was over, you know, it, it was... I, I was just absolutely spent. It was a, 
of long haul. PPFC was in it the entire game. There was never a turn the whole game where I think either of us thought, okay, yeah, we've we've got this. We're we're doing okay. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I I feel that. I, I not to turn this into a, a fighting game podcast, but back before the pandemic, when I used to go to tournaments, man, you play four, five, six matches in a day, and just the stress of playing those. The you're just you're going at a hundred percent full bore. At the end of the day, you're exhausted. You ended up playing as much Blood Bowl as you can <laughs> in a playoff match in this game. This game ended up not just going to overtime, but going to penalty kicks. Yeah, this was the longest game possible, like you said. <laughs> and yeah, it. I, I don't remember. I think the game was like two and a half hours or something like that. It uh, that may have one. included the the intro, but yeah, it was that was by far the longest Blood Bowl game I have ever played. You had started out on offense. You went super aggressive right out of the gate. By turn two, I wanted to ask you about this. You left a bull centaur open over on the right side of the pitch to a two-die GFI blitz that PPFC would take. What what was your rationale there? That was a complete mistake on my part. I did not... <laughs> there's no like brilliant plan or thought on my part. I did not realize that uh, his Saurus would be able to make it to me with out having to, I don't even think he had to GFI or dodge or anything, and had a skink right behind him he could use for the assist on him. I just didn't see it at all. I figured, okay, I'm far enough off the line. I'm perfectly safe. I just forgot how incredibly fast Sauruses are. I thought, so it, he did have to GFI to make the blitz. He didn't have to GFI to make the move. I thought you were just like, you're not going to GFI. Come at me. I dare you. <laughs> I would not have parked that close maybe if it was two gfis i'd consider it but for one gfi especially if they can do it as the first thing and they have a reroll left it's just too dangerous because again you wind up with a skink potentially being behind your line getting the ball uh and trying to to run back field that's a risk that i wouldn't have taken intentionally well unfortunately the blitz worked out he got a pow on it knocked down the bull centaur but then in the same turn, he went for a foul, which I thought was really risky. It didn't, in my opinion, I don't think it worked out. He traded one for one, so he pulled the player off the pitch, but he got caught off in the process. I can't remember what he did, but if it was if it was a knockout, then that's not a good trade because your player's out forever getting called off for a foul, and the knockout player could come back in. So I thought that was super risky. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing with uh, with any of the fouls, especially if you don't have a bribe. They are fairly risky. Now, again, with uh, my thought on the skinks is you've probably got a couple of extras, but it certainly isn't necessarily that you're wanting to lose all of your skinks or use all of them for trying to foul. So I, I think that that was a, a fairly risky thing to do. Uh, I don't think it necessarily hurt him all that much by doing it, but it's one of those things where, you know, you can't rewind the clock and find out whether you know, how anything would have gone differently if a different decision had been made by either of us. Sure. And I think both you and Elder Bruno played a really good game. Maybe the, the game of the competition for you guys here, um, really pulling out all the stops on turn three after, after you got blitzed down, I think you did a, an admirable, an admirable job pulling back two dwarves. You did the absolute most you could do. And I, I think, I mean, by all rights, it should have been good enough 
But on turn three, PPFC was able to dodge out a skink, pick up the ball, and dodge again for a score. What made it so risky was you, you were able to pull back the two dwarves. Dwarves have tackle, tackle negates dodge. The skinks have stunty, they have dodge, so their dodge skill wasn't in play on either of these two dodges. And the pickup had two marks on it, so that was a five-plus pickup. So he he went for a tackle dodge, five-plus pickup, tackle dodge to score. Worked out good for him, but I, I think you did I think you did everything you could. <laughs> it just didn't work out. And, and that's the thing with any game like this, any game that involves any aspect of randomness, it's the same thing. I make the analogy to poker for Blood Bowl on a fairly regular basis is the best thing you can do is go all in on the best hand. If sure. something bad happens, well, that was the best plan that I could come up with. And even looking back at it, I couldn't think of a better thing to do. And he did exactly what he needed to do in that situation. He made a fairly risky play but he knew that if i got another turn that i was going to have more of my dwarves there more tackle probably would take a blitz on the on the one skink he'd gotten past the line so it was kind of a now or never thing he gave it a shot and it worked out for him and i i think that was definitely the right decision for him and i, I think that uh, you know he did everything right that turn yeah, fair enough. And uh, we often talk about Blood Bowl. You, you mentioned the dice, Blood Bowl being a game of luck mitigation. There's lots of die rolls in Blood Bowl, so you don't want to be beholden to fate when you play the game. You have so much agency in Blood Bowl that you can reduce your risk. And often the difference between a winner and a loser in a game is how well they mitigate their risk. Really, this touchdown goes back to the Bull Suntar being put out there to get blocked down. Props to El Nuberino for identifying that, for seeing that, especially El Nuberino, certainly not a new coach, but new coaches would often not recognize that. They would see a bull centaur, strength four, kind of far away and go, ah, I can't get to him. But he recognized it. He recognized it correctly. He made the correct call to move the skink in, got the assist with the skink, but more importantly, got that skink into position to pick up that ball moved the Saurus down, took the block, he took advantage of it. That is, in a nutshell, Blood Bowl. You, your opponent does something risky, it fails, and then you descend upon that and, and take advantage of it as much as possible. So good job to El Nuberino. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, turn six, you would be on offense again this time. So you have three turns left in the first half. You did a, a pretty good job of keeping those dwarves together. Dwarves, of course, want to be kept together. They're the canonical bashy team. They have high resilience, high AV. They're decent blockers. They'll often pick up guards, such as yours did. You had two of them with guard. Guard means that they will get an assist on block, even if they're in an opposing tackle zone. So you did a really good job of keeping them together. PPFC, on the other hand, did a really good job of keeping a unified defensive front. So we hinted at this a little bit earlier in the episode, how you your play style with this team seems to have been all competition long, field control. You'll watch almost like a chess match. You'll move your players into position to push players out of the way or to lock them down so they're never moving again. And El Nuberino recognized this and kind of kept back. So when PPFC played earlier in the season or earlier in the competition, he played very differently. He went in gung-ho, Rambo style, taking the blocks, taking the hits, rawr. But here on defense, he he played it a little more cautiously. He said, I'll take the hits that I can. 
I'm not going to give him an opportunity to split my team up. And I thought he did a really good job with that. But at some point, I have no idea how it happened, but his defensive line rotated like 45 degrees, which opened up the right side of the pitch. And you did a good job of recognizing that and just running. Was that on purpose? Did you do that on purpose? So I was trying I was trying to push his team one way or the other. It happened that I got a couple of pushes that was pushing his team that way. And my plan at that point was I think there was a there were a couple of players that were still kind of straight ahead, but because of the Soros's low uh, agility, at that point, I just determined that, you know, I've got basically two turns left to score. I guess three turns left to score at that point. I need to basically block off the entire half of the pitch, pretend now that we're playing essentially sideways, turn my defense, you know, kind of like you were saying, 90 degrees, and use that to block him down while I try to run essentially what was behind my defensive line at that point up the field. And yeah, that that was... It wasn't my original plan, but as soon as I saw that I was beginning to rotate his line and that I was beginning to tie up uh, some of his sources to that side, it basically became the only option available to me. And one of the things that he kept doing, though, was putting multiple players on my bull centaur that was carrying the ball and trying to figure out how to dislodge him without trying to take a dodge uh, was one of the big challenges of trying to get out of that, because even though theoretically uh it's a reasonable chance with the croxagore there with prehensile tail give me a negative one it was like a so i've got a one-third chance of dodging out with the bull centaur i figured that basically almost every block or blitz i could take was going to be better odds than that well you did a really good job you you broke that bull carrier that bull carrier that bull centaur down pitch nobody could catch him and you'd end up tying at the half 1-1. So that I think that was critical in keeping you alive in this match. Oh, absolutely. Turn nine to start the second half. PPFC would set up a two-SARS half cage on the opposing four-yard line off to the left side. You can't ask for much better than that. You know, two SARS is effectively your entire cage is SARS. That's terrifying. <laughs> but on turn 10, you, you applied the pressure. As as you do, you were trying to trying to break down the cage while still playing defense. But then on turn ten, PPFC tried to dodge out the ball carrier and failed to dodge. I have no idea what that dodge was about. Was that a misclick? Do you know what that was about? I I do not know what that was about. Uh, he did try to dodge out the uh, the ball carrier from that. Uh, it didn't work out. I, I'm not sure whether he thought that he needed to do something immediately or I was going to be able to better descend on the cage or what was going on with that. Yeah, I, I'm not I, I'm not sure what that what that dodge was about, but he'd fail the dodge. You'd end up getting a one die skilled block on <laughs> on the big guy on the Crocs and KO'd the big guy. Whenever you can knock out or take a big guy off the pitch, that is huge. You must have felt a, a little relief, at least when you when you took uh, croc, the Crocs out of the game. Yeah, I, I thought at that point, hey, I've taken his big guy out for the rest of the game. Sure. <laughs> uh, on turn 12, El Nuberino and PPFC would sort of change their focus. They, they left your cage alone. They honed in on your bull centaurs. He really wanted to take them out of the game. What did you think about that? So you had you had your ball carrier over to the right side of the pitch. He was really focused on the left side of the pitch. 
was that relieving that he was kind of leaving the ball carrier alone or was it terrifying that he was going after your bull centaurs i mean it was a little bit of both for the most part the bull centaurs can pretty much take care of themselves although he did a really good job of continually blocking them down over and over and over on the left hand side of the pitch and the the danger i kept thinking was is that he was going to wind up finding a way to surf like both of my bull centaurs on one turn uh and that i was going to have to lose them both for the rest of the game <laughs> and so i was working probably harder to try to keep my bull centaurs from getting surfed than I even necessarily was with trying to knock down uh, his sources or anything like that. Even at one point over on that side, took some dodges and things like that just to have them so that they weren't on the sideline right next to uh, Saurus. When it came around to your half of the turn, you ended up taking... A one-die block against Mariah Carey. Your blocker had the wrestle skill. Wrestle means that on a both-down result, whether you're attacking or defending, you can just decide to go prone. Both players go prone, but no armor roll is taken, and there's no turnover. That ended in double skulls for you. What what was the intent behind that block? So, I again, everything that I was doing over there, I was desperately trying to get my bull centaurs free and away from the sidelines and mm. i was hoping that if i managed to push the saurus back a little bit that i could give myself some breathing space to even if i still was getting tied down to at least try to get off the sideline uh so that i could stand up safely and have a little bit of freedom there and yeah it just did not work out for me and then i wound up with an entirely new set of problems <laughs> well that makes sense to try to save the bull centaur they are in my opinion, the, the stars of the Chaos Dwarf roster. Turn 13 would come around. You would cage up. As we mentioned, you were on the right side of the pitch. You were way over to the right side of the pitch. Very few players were around. PPFC and El Nuberino would take advantage of the fact that dwarves are really, really slow. Dwarves only have an MA of four. He had three skinks, and by the time you started moving the ball down pitch, moving the ball forward, he ended up with two Sauruses in position on defense as well. You were able to KO one of the skinks. Skinks are not too scary, but they, they can slow you down. But he did have the two Sauruses there. What were you thinking when you had that cage and you just see these Sauruses start to move over? You, you had a line of three skinks, which, you know, who cares? They have a strength of two. They'll slow you down, but you could probably get through them. But now you've got these two Sauruses to contend with as well. So what I was thinking at that point was kind of my game plan uh, a lot of the times playing against the lizard teams which of the seven games that i had this uh this competition four of them were against the lizard teams so i've, I've had a fair number of games against them uh, oh that's and I've, terrifying <laughs> yeah yeah um and i i found obviously the weak link often is is the skinks and certainly they're the easiest thing to take off the pitch for me probably easier for my team than almost any other because the dwarves have block and tackle so they can much more easily knock them down so i was essentially thinking what is it that i can do to make it so that i am tying the sauruses up with dwarves on one side using any remaining dwarves i have i could probably knock the skinks out of the way and then move down to score because i mostly wanted to try to prevent a saurus from getting in front of the cage because 
that becomes almost impossible for me to push out of the way. And the dwarves don't have enough speed to try to go around basically anybody. Sure. On turn 15, El Nuberino, again, I have to think it's a misclick. And to be clear to the listeners, I mean, this this is Blood Bowl. This happens a lot. You're, You're under a two minute timer. You're under the gun. Mistakes are going to happen. Looks like he took a misclick. He tried to dodge. He did a five plus dodge with the Saurus. That didn't work out. He had to spend the TRR to keep this alive. That, of course, failed. A five plus dodge is a one third chance of success. It's 33%. Taking the TRR brings you to 55 ish, 55 and change. So he was really hoping that would work out. It didn't. And at that point, it seemed certain that you were going to win this game. You you were safe on the sideline. You had your cage. Did you think you won the ball game at this point? I, I will admit I was feeling fairly confident. I figured, okay, he just failed that. His source is now down. The only thing that can get at me is a skink. What could that possibly do? <laughs> uh, and yeah, that that was probably the one time of the whole game that I took a deep breath. I was like, okay. I don't even have to make. I, they don't. Don't even think I would have had to make a GFI to be able to score in, by the end of the, the the half. So yeah, I was feeling fairly good about it at that point. Yeah, you were sitting pretty. Really, the only thing he could have done, we were we were trying to figure out what he could do, and uh, his best option. He, he decided his best option was to take Avril Lavigne a skink. Had to pass a tackle dodge. That's three plus. Had to spend the TRR when he failed it. Now he doesn't have the TRR. <laughs> does another three-plus tackle dodge into a three-die uphill block and gets the surf. (laughs) Gets the surf on the three-die uphill. The ball gets thrown back into no man's land on knee-high side of the pitch. And to add insult to injury, your ball carrier was injured. I have to ask you, are you actually knee-high to nuffle? At that particular moment, I, I think that uh, that Nuffle had decided that, you know, enough of this. I want to see some more Blood Bowl. We're going to make that happen. This is the only way to make it happen. All right. Well, that skink's coming through. <laughs> well, that would that would clinch overtime. So we'd go into overtime. If you're unfamiliar, the way overtime works is there's another so-called half, another eight turns we played. It starts with a coin toss, just like the beginning of the game. You don't get back any injuries. All all injuries are just the way that the game has been. But crucially, you don't get back your TRRs. So you went into this. I think both teams had used up their TRRs by this point. Is that correct? I think either I had one left and he had none or we both used them up. Uh, I know that they were all gone fairly quickly after that. I do not recall exactly when I spent my last one. It seems like PPFC won the coin toss. They were on offense. Is that right? That is, yeah, they won the coin toss on that. Yeah, but overtime is sudden death. The first team to score will win. PPFC wins the coin toss. They would set up on offense. They would set up a standard cage, and he wouldn't, again, this is a this is watching El Nuberino change his tactics from earlier in the in the competition. He set up a standard cage, and he pushed you back. He didn't. He didn't go hog wild with the lizard man. He was like, I'm going to set up a cage. I'm not going to give you your blocks. I'll let you make your mistakes. I thought that was really good. That was a really good offense for him to start this overtime. Did you feel 
as this game went on that he was changing his strategy? And if so, how did you how did you react to that? Yeah, it definitely was a change from the first two halves. And as soon as I saw that he was doing that, I had to change my strategy as well. It's a lot harder to go after a cage when it has higher strength than you do, because trying to find positioning to actually get a two die block becomes much more difficult. What my hope was, was that I'd be able to find a way to get a two die block, push into the cage. And as soon as I did move somebody to tie up every single corner of the cage and force him to have to uh, either take blocks or run the the skink out of there to try to protect but i was trying to be as patient as possible go after the skinks when i could find them go after anybody else who wasn't part of the cage and for as long as i could and just make it so that he could move as slowly as possible and he did just that your defense was solid i thought you were applying appropriate pressure he felt that pressure he ended up running the ball carrier christina aguilera the skink who was injured who has the av of six ran her down pitch but she was completely undefended so not only is she undefended, but she's very, very weak. She has halfling armor value at that point. On that same turn, you were able to set up the two-die block naturally, but you only got double pushes. <laughs> yeah, I, I at that point, I sort of thought, okay, I'm down to you know a 50-50 chance of losing the game the next turn. Uh, it might not have been those exact odds. I'm not certain, but... I had the tackle dodge, and then it was going to have one uh, additional dodge beyond that. But I've got the best chance that I have is on the tackle dodge. Not I had a hobgoblin down there and a dwarf. I didn't have a whole lot of uh, expectations that the hobgoblin alone was going to be able to do a whole lot. On that same turn, you ended up taking an uphill block on the Crocs. What what was the idea behind that? Um, it was a block that I could take, and I didn't really think it probably mattered all that much. <laughs> Fair I, enough. <laughs> I, I, it was sort of like, well, I mean, if he knocks me down, is that going to make any impact on what happens next turn? No. If I knock him down, maybe it'll make a difference. Because I figured that the biggest thing that was going to be going on the next turn was his dodge. And I was trying to make sure that no other players could get down there. I probably would have done better to just tie him up, but I figured I might as well go for it. Fair enough. On turn 20, it wouldn't matter. He'd fail his dodge anyway. The ball would scatter out of bounds. It would get thrown back in on the PPSC four-yard line all the way on the opposite wide zone. Nobody was there. And then on turn 21, we're at now, 21 of 24, you injure the Crocs. You KO'd the Crocs, and now you injured the Crocs with a fractured arm. So in the Dwarven Kingdoms, maybe it's a chaos thing. I'm not sure, but you need to let me know. How are you injuring Croxagores? Are you juicing? Is that what's happening? Oh, absolutely. You know, the Chaos just absolutely has all kinds of things that they provide. They come in vials, strange colors. We don't care. You know, whatever it is, if the Goblin Apothecaries and stuff like that say to take it, we take it. They don't object to it. And as we all know, completely legal in Blood Bowl. Not just legal, but sponsored. Absolutely. You know, there's... Five or six, you know, sponsors for uh, stadiums, things like that, just for that alone. <laughs> he uh, he was not able to use the, 
the apothecary on the Crocs because he spent it on Christina Aguilera. He wanted to try to keep her on the pitch. She did stay on the pitch, but unfortunately, when the ball was scattered out of bounds, it put the ball all the way down on the other side of the pitch. So, so leaving her on the pitch would have been hopeful if the ball stayed where it was. But at that point, it was unfortunately a, a, a wasted apothecary, which happens. Yeah. But then on turn 22, man, <laughs> your injured bull centaur died on, on a GFI. <laughs> I, I think that the ground has been more dangerous to my bull centaurs this competition than anything that anyone else has has done they've managed to survive all kinds of a beating from sauruses croxagors chaos warriors but the ground <laughs> the ground the ground will do it i mean i don't even know how much strength the ground has but the bull centaur died on the gfi just like he got injured in the first place on a gfi it's true fortunately i had an apothecary this time was able to use him uh so did not wind up losing the uh, the bull centaur, but yeah, my, my heart definitely skipped a beat there for a second. When you hear that ding sound, you know <laughs> it's it's a thing. Yeah, thankfully you did have the apo. You you spent the apothecary save blasphemy. That's two GFIs that failed. Uh, if anybody's who's listening is new to Blood Bowl, Blood Bowl Two uses the Living Rulebook Six rules, and on page twenty seven, you'll see that the odds of a go for it roll are 900%. So you're going to fail nine. You failed two. You've got seven to go. I hope you're ready for that. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't read the rule book enough. I, I know the odds, <laughs> you know, I, but somehow I just thought, come on, this time, this time it'll be fine. You know, what could go wrong? Of course, the rules for go for it are actually when you when you try to go for it, you can you can move your maximum movement allowance with a player plus two additional spaces if you want. Each space you have to roll a die, and on a one, you fail. It's a one six chance of failing. What could possibly happen? <laughs> yeah, especially when you have a sure feet, which makes it so that you get to re-roll it the first time. So. <laughs> If your odds there are one in 36, I mean, come on. One in 36 is basically zero, right? Yeah. <laughs> that would do it. Uh, at the end of 24, OT would end in a draw. And this is where we were all baffled. We had no idea what was going to happen at the end of a draw. I mentioned that at one point in time, it was penalty kicks. I thought each team got five. Turns out it's still penalty kicks. <laughs> so the way penalty kicks apparently work is it's based off of the LRB6 rules for one-off games where each team rolls a D6. You add plus one for every remaining TRR. Whoever rolls the higher number wins. The way Blood Bowl 2 seems to model it, the newspaper clipping that shows up for the penalty kick shootout reiterates those rules. So it seems to make a spectacle out of it. I, I have to imagine it calculates it ahead of time and then just does a song and dance to make it exciting. But it ended up in penalty kicks. You would score two, two kicks to PPFC's one, but that would be the game you'd win on kicks the game would win, or you'd win the game two to one. Winning penalty kicks gives you that extra TD you need. How does it feel? I mean, surely it feels great to win. A win's a win. And both coaches, both you and El Nubarino, played your hearts out, played a really good game, uh, reacted to each other very well, which I think is indicative of good coaches. But 
how does it feel to have such a grueling game come down to what is effectively a D6 roll? I have to admit, it was a little bit anticlimactic. We were really hoping to have some other result with that. And the game client itself, just referring to Blood Bowl 2, doesn't really give you a whole lot of indication as to what is about to happen. So both of us were just sitting there watching it and be like, is there something we're supposed to do? Or do we have any way to influence this? Do we just sit and watch? And apparently just, yeah, just sit and watch with everyone else and wait till the game gets done flipping its coin or whatever it is that it's done. Uh, yeah, that's it's unfortunate that I had to come down to that. But the game's got to end at some point. There's a little bit you can do, I guess, to save the TRRs. We were talking about that uh, after your game. But it, I mean, I can't ever, I can barely imagine a situation where I'd want to save a TRR for penalty kicks. Yeah, I mean, I tend to be fairly conservative saving my TRRs to begin with. And I'd already used all of mine long ago. Going with three going 16 turns basically a full game only with three what are the chances you're going to have any left at that point and i can't think of a, of a situation where i could have saved my trr that wouldn't have also probably lost me the game or given uh, ppfc at least a very very good chance of scoring so yeah you want to use them while the opportunity is there to keep the game going not be like, well, you know, I'll, I'll risk it and hope that this matters in another 12 turns. Yeah, I, I would have done the same. Um, but you'd come out on top, you'd advance to the finals, the championship game. And as luck would have it, or a lack of luck as it were, you'd be up against another Lizardman team, this time against More the lizards. league champion. <laughs> so many lizards. <laughs> <laughs> a reptile dysfunction versus knee had enough it would be the championship match for this season two chaos cup again a reptile dysfunction a lizardman team coached by nick satan and knee had enough your team that is a chaos dwarf team you changed up your roster a little bit and i i think you did it deliberately for this matchup you picked up a minotaur before you played this game can you can you talk about your roster decisions and what was going through your head absolutely so Going into this game, I had two level ups and enough cash to buy a Minotaur. I, I had been hoping to be able to buy a Minotaur several games ago, but I had had some very bad fortune rolling uh, ones and twos and on wins, re-rolling them into additional ones and twos. So it took me a little bit longer to get it than I was hoping, but better late than never. And my thought with that and with taking Dauntless on one of my Chaos Dwarves was everyone has more strength than me. I've got to do something to try to even the odds on that. My plan with the Minotaur was probably not to get super aggressive with it because I recognize the, the danger of using big guys and the problems with having loner where you only got the 50-50 chance of using the reroll. But my kind of thought was... Maybe I could use it to tie up a Saurus or two, you know, occasionally use it for a Blitz or something like that. But my hope was to just give myself a little bit more strength, use Dauntless to give myself a few more options with the Dwarves so that my Bull Centaurs wouldn't be the only players basically able to get good blocks on, on Sauruses. And that was sort of the idea behind all that. The downside to it was 
it put my TV way up above uh, erectile dysfunctions. It did. It put it up by 180K. I, I thought there were good pickups, though, especially Dauntless. You mentioned Dauntless. Dauntless, of course, means you roll a die, you add it to your strength. If it's equal to or greater than your opponent's strength, then your strength matches theirs. So all you need is the assist against two-die block. I thought that was a really smart pickup, and you used it a lot to good to good use in this match. So I, I really liked that pickup. But as you said, you gave up 180k to a reptile dysfunction, and I was hoping for an early season wizard. His picks were a lot better than a wizard. I just like to see wizards. <laughs> he, he ended up picking up a bribe and a star player. He picked up Helmet, which is a goblin player. They are a secret weapon. They have a chainsaw, which means their blocks are not blocks. They're just straight armor rolls. And he has stand firm, which means he can stay put when he gets pushed. Two very good pickups, I think. Uh, the game would start. You would be on offense. I can't remember who won the coin toss. Do you? I don't think that I won a coin toss out of any of them the entire time. So I believe that he won uh, or if any of the games in the finals. So I believe that he put me on offense. That is very interesting. I wonder if he thought he would be able to use Helmet and Meatwad, his sneaky get, to get the player advantage. And that's why he put you on offense. I, I don't know. But on, on turn one, you'd be on offense. You set up, let's just call it a million man line. Uh, you, you wanted to block <laughs> down that line and it, you did so. It worked out. On the second half of turn one, a reptile dysfunction had to spend their bribe immediately. They did a foul. They got caught. They had to bribe the ref. Now they're out the bribe. That hurts. And that hurts. Oh, that I keep thinking about this, and if I would have spent the bribe or not. The bribe has two uses. You can keep a player on the pitch who fouls, but secret weapons are basically foulers as, as well. Like, you can't bring... Of all the things you can't do in Blood Bowl, <laughs> you can't bring a chainsaw on the pitch. So you get one drive out of it afterwards. The ref's like, hey, wait, is that a chainsaw? And you get called off the pitch. All secret weapons get called off the pitch, but you can use a bribe to keep the secret weapon on the pitch. And I thought that was going to be his plan. But instead, he spent that bribe on Meatwad when he failed the foul. Did that enter your mind at all? Were you like, oh, good, there's only going to be one drive with Helmet? Oh, yeah, that that was definitely uh, good news for me because, yeah, having a chainsaw player on the pitch is definitely very concerning. Most of my players have fairly high AV, but there's always the uh, the hobgoblins there. And on the subject of the Hobgoblins, I did something, I think this is the only time the entire tournament that I actually set my Hobgoblins up to receive as opposed to my Bull Centaurs. I know throughout all of the games, when you're announcing them, you always expect that, oh, okay, well, he's not going to leave just one Bull Centaur back to receive the ball. Oh, nope, nope, apparently he's leaving one Bull Centaur back to receive the ball, but... In this case, I actually left both of the goblins back so I could have even more strength on the line. And it worked out. Not only were you able to block down that line, as we mentioned, but you were able to leverage that line to do your, your trademark good field control. You you picked up the ball with the hobgoblin. You ran him down pitch. He crossed the line of scrimmage. You didn't have a cage, but you didn't need it because you controlled that right wide zone. Not only that, but you took a block and you caused another injury. <laughs> and now a reptile dysfunction had to spend their apothecary. We're three turns into the game. A reptile dysfunction loses their bribe, loses their apo. They must have been kicking themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, those were 
rough turns there for uh, for Nick Satan in the first couple of turns, getting the injuries, losing the bribe, not getting too much out of the fouls. He's very aggressive with fouling almost, I think, the entire first half. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the advantage of having a sneaky get, and that's what makes them so terrifying, especially with a bribe. But then when you're in a situation where you have a star player who's a secret weapon, I guess you got to make that call. Do you want to keep your sneaky get on the pitch or do you want to keep the star player on the pitch for one more drive? He chose the sneaky get. Fair enough. I'm not in the finals. <laughs> he was. So uh, I I understand. He ended up choosing to use that star player to blitz the ball carrier. It worked out. He got a stun on it as well, but that marked his star player, which I thought was an interesting choice. I don't know if I want the star player marked. I guess he felt that you could, if you stayed in control of the ball, you would have an opportunity to run it down pitch or maybe secure it. Either way, the ball scattered. On turn four, he would take a two-die blitz on the dwarf marking the ball. He went below the dwarf, and I know he did that because he didn't want the Saris getting marked. He could have gone up and blitzed the dwarf down, but I suppose he didn't want the Saris getting marked, so he... He went down where he was open and pushed up, but that pushed the dwarf onto the ball. The ball scattered off the pitch, and uh, just like the last game, we see the ball thrown back in on the opposite 12-yard line. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah it, there, there were a lot of uh, throw-ins during the finals uh, of balls winding up on the sideline, getting pushed out, getting scattered out and getting thrown all the way across the, the pitch to you know, frequently where basically no one is standing at the moment. Yeah, I and we again, we talk about how Blood Bowl is a game of luck mitigation. This is a hard decision. I think if I was in that position, I probably would have spent most of my two minutes thinking about it. I understand not wanting the SARS getting marked. SARS is their mark. They only have an AG of one. If they're marked, they're not going anywhere. But I really don't like the thought of me putting the ball in a situation where I have to hope that a die roll puts the ball back where I want it to be. <laughs> so I probably wouldn't have taken that blitz up. I might've taken it down or maybe pulled back on defense a little bit. I don't know. That's a tough call. Yeah. I, I'm not sure whether there was a specific plan in mind, whether he was hoping that it would wind up in a place where his skinks could get to it before my dwarves would. Cause that's certainly always a threat, especially after your dwarves are, you know, have moved a decent distance from the line is if the ball goes somewhere where they can't get to, they're never going to get back into position, either defensive or offensively, to have an impact against the skink because the skink's going to take two turns and it's going to score. And if you're still halfway across the pitch, that's basically the game. Speaking of skinks on turn five, you would injure Meatwad, the sneaky get. So now a reptile dysfunction is down their oppo. They're down their bribe. They're down their fowler. And we'll get to more. It, it's not over yet. <laughs> but now it's just turn five. He's down three key things. Huh. Did, did Nick Satan, was he vocal about any frustrations in this game at all? No. Um, although part of that is uh, partway through. Uh, I think his mic got accidentally muted. We, we didn't discover that until later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we both... You know, had our ups and downs throughout the, uh, the game. Certainly, I was trying to get the sneaky get off the field. It was my number one target with basically everything that I was doing there. 
because I could not afford to lose any number of players before going on defense to the fouling because my team going up against a team that's so fast and with Stunty and Dodge, if I don't have my dwarves and I don't have the ability to keep them on the line, I don't have a lot I could do to to really have a good chance of stopping or slowing down a skink enough to uh, to get the ball off of them. Fair enough. But man, on the very next turn, <laughs> the star player would end up chainsawing himself. The chainsaw works. He rolls a d6. On a one, the chainsaw kicks back and hits himself instead of the player he's targeting. Chainsawed himself, KO'd himself. Now that the bribe is spent, that meant that the star player would be out of the game. And that was it. Turn six of the game, all the inducements are spent. The apothecary is spent. And by this point, you, Nehide and Nuffle, would have a four-man player advantage. And the bull center would have the ball and couldn't be caught at that point. I could feel the sorrow <laughs> from a reptile dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the the bull centaurs are the one player that on my team that if they get the ball and they get a little bit away from you. And one of the things that did again, almost the entire competition was if I had a bull center that was trying to move, I'd move it one space at a time, see if I had to roll sure feet. If I didn't, I'd try to take another move. If I was completely safe and it wasn't an issue, I wouldn't try to do that. But if I'm the ball carrier and I'm trying to make myself safe and I'm trying to get out of range of like getting marked, I'll just keep doing that until I lose the sure feet roll and then stop at that point. Yeah, well, uh, the, the half would end. Uh, Reptile's function would risk another foul. I, again, this time he doesn't have his fouler. He doesn't have his bribe. He tried to foul the Minotaur, take him off the pitch. He got sent off for his trouble. So really, just a, a real downer of a first half for a Reptile's dysfunction. They would need to sort of, and this is part of any competitive play, you might have a bad quarter, a bad inning, a bad whatever, and you've got to find the resolve to just say, you know what, I'm at where I'm at. Things are what they are. I just need to regroup, see what I have, and leverage that to the best of my ability. And I think in the second half, we, we'll see Nick Satan do exactly that. Uh, again, he's league champion. So yeah. uh, he, he was down by a bunch going into the second half. That didn't stop him. On turn 10, I think you did a real good job of getting your dwarves into position and moving them ahead of the cage. But on turn 11, a reptile is... This, of course, turn 10, 11, 9, 10, 11 uh, would be the second half. But on turn 11... A reptile's function sent a skink undefended down pitch, and I'm not sure he noticed, but he he marked your players. He sent the skink down pitch, but your dwarf only needed, it was only a 50-50 dodge because he was making a positive dodge out toward the skink. I don't know if he noticed that or not. You had a TRR that could have made it as safe as 75%. In fact, you did have to spend the TRR. You got a two-die blitz out of it. You only got a push. But I thought that was kind of risky moving that that skink down pitch. Did you when he did that, were you like, aha, I, I see it immediately. I'm going after you with my dwarf. I, I certainly thought after taking a look at things, that became basically the best option available to me. I didn't see any other good way to free up any player. And the risk with even if there had been the ability to free up a hobgoblin or a bull centaur, they still only get a two die block and they're only going to knock you down on a pow, whereas the, well, I guess they could get a knockdown with a both down for the hobgoblins or something like that. But if they're next to you, if all they're doing is marking you because they get a push or something like that, 
it's so much easier for the skate to get away and dodge than it is if you can get a dwarf. So I always focused on trying to, if possible, intercept skinks with a dwarf because then their dodge would be a lot more difficult. Yeah, very smart. Again, the tackle skill, very useful against dodgy teams. But unfortunately, you only got the push result. That means he was left in the position to take a two GFI Saurus Blitz to free up the ball carrier. It worked out. GFIs worked out. The Blitz worked out. That would tie the game up at one to one. But that leaves you with a whole lot of time to try to win this game. On the next drive, you would set up your offense. You had four players wide left, four players wide right and your left center pitch wide open explain to me what this formation was about so when i saw what he had done one of the things that i was hoping to do with the minotaur when i got it was start surfing people and my hope going into the game was okay if he sets up somebody either on the line within three spaces of the line or two spaces not for the line from the sideline or two spaces from the sideline anywhere else, I'm going to try to see if I can get my Minotaur, at least if it's a Saurus, to try to surf them, get myself some player advantage, especially player advantage of getting Sauruses off the pitch. The plan there and the way that it had been originally set up was to allow my Bull Centaur to push the, the, the Saurus, and these were all going to be two die blocks at least, push the Saurus one space over, then have the Minotaur just be able to take an ordinary block on it and use that to push it sideways and then push it completely off the pitch. And that had the added benefit of it would allow me to then move a dwarf up and potentially blitz a skink that probably thought it was otherwise safe because it was behind two Sauruses. And I thought, hey, I might be able to come back, surprise that skink, get a uh, pow on it, or at least get a knockdown of some sort. And then I've got the entire right-hand side of the pitch. I can just tie up all the rest of his players and move down the right-hand side of the pitch to try to score. Unfortunately, the uh, Nuffle had other plans. <laughs> well, that's clever. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> on turn 13 for a reptile dysfunction, they saw the hole at center pitch. At this point, you had moved a dwarf over to close it up. He tried to open the hole. Uh, it didn't work out. He got a push, so he shut that down. He said, eh, I'm all right. But on turn 14, he would try to pick this ball up. This ball would be on your side. There was a little bit of a tussle going on with skinks and some dwarves. Uh, I think uh, the bull centaur was in it. I can't remember. But he had to pick this ball up on a 5+. plus. He had a one-third chance of picking this ball up. Failed. He spent the TRR again. That makes it a little over 50-50. Uh, didn't work out. The ball then fumbled. It was a hobgoblin. That's what it was. It fumbled into the hands of your hobgoblin. So now you have the ball. <laughs> that was that was uh, that was unfortunate. I, unfortunate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, there there are a few things better in Blood Bowl than winding up with a fight around the ball. The ball gets knocked into the air. Somebody tries to pick it up and fails. And it just somehow winds up in one of your players hands <laughs> because generally that means they've just had a turnover. And now you have the ball on your turn and you can plan for how to try to free up whatever player it is that just got the ball. Indeed. And him trying that risky pickup meant that he was eating a block coming back. And sure enough, he did. And you got an injury on that skink. That's how it goes. You want to you get risky like that with a skink, no less. They're going to eat some blocks. 
So the skink got injured. A reptile's function would come back on the next turn. They would injure Briar Rose. I can't remember what skills were on Briar Rose, Rose but he was a he was a Chaos Dwarf blocker. It might have been one of my guard. I don't remember. Um, I'm pretty sure I lost one of my guard dwarves uh, at some point. Yeah, I think that's the, right. In the half, because I was looking for trying to do guard later on and couldn't find it. It's like, oh, right. So, yeah, it was unable to score the uh, by the end of the half there. Yeah, and, th- and this would be another game that went into overtime. So we go into overtime, but this was interesting. So overtime would start. A reptile dysfunction would have just six players on the pitch. You, Nehide Enuffle, would have nine players on the pitch as a three-man player advantage to you. But more importantly, all of his skinks are gone. He has nobody who can reasonably pick up the ball. Were you feeling pretty confident at this point? When he didn't get his KO'd skink back, he got the Saurus. For a second, I thought, oh, man, he's getting his high-strength player back. That's unfortunate. You know, it's much easier to take out the skinks. And then I noticed what you just said. Oh, wait, he's got his Croxagore and five Sauruses lining up. No skink. <laughs> no. So even if he gets manages to pick up the ball, which... It's not super likely. It's only a one-third chance each time, but eventually, you know, he'll be able to do it if I can't get anywhere. But tying up the ball carrier is going to be fairly easy. I don't really have to worry that much about successful handoffs. Certainly don't have to worry much about a pass. I mean, sure, you know, you pass on a on a six and catch on a six and got a chance of doing it, but uh, I certainly did not see uh, a reptile dysfunction as trying to suddenly be a YOLO passing team. Were you confident in a win at this point, or were you afraid that this might go to penalty kicks again? I mean, after the previous game, I was I was afraid that it was going to go to penalty kicks again. I did feel a little bit more confident with him not having any skinks and having player advantage that I could probably tie up the line. And even if he didn't pick up the ball at some point, I would be able to get somebody, a hobgoblin maybe, or uh, one of the bull centaurs or something around the line to try to pick up the ball. I got to say, Nick Satan, he had six players, none of which could handle a ball. He put those players to work. He worked hard with these six players in this overtime half. On turn 18, a boxing match would ensue over on the right side of the line of scrimmage. Asaris would get injured, so now he's down yet another player. And then a Minotaur Blitz would injure another player. He's down to four players at this point on turn 18. At that point, having that much player advantage, you know, I was feeling more confident. But with all of these things, you know, you just never know until the very end. And he was not going to go down without a fight on any of that. He did not. Indeed, he got on the very next turn. He leveraged his mighty blow player to knock out your big guy, the Minotaur. So now the Minotaur is off the pitch. And then (laughs) and then you failed. A plus three sure hands pickup. So you failed that twice. <laughs> yeah, two two uh, sure hands pickups. I, I I really do think that uh, you know there was somebody commenting about wondering whether Nuffle understands the definition of sure or something like that. Because <laughs> sure hands, sure feet, they don't really seem that sure for my team a lot of the time. And <laughs> after the second sure hands pickup failed. You know, I was beginning to have some serious concerns whether I was ever actually going to be able to, whether I was going to have enough time to pick up the ball, even if there wasn't any 
resistance at all on the field, whether he's going to actually be able to move it down pitch. Nuffle seemed to favor a reptile dysfunction at this point because that failed pickup scattered the ball out of bounds. And third time in this, in this bracket, threw the ball back to where nobody was. It was back to your own 12-yard line. And this gave a reptile dysfunction the slimmest margin, the slimmest hope to try to get on this ball. And he would do it. He Well, he would try. Pickles, the Croxagor, would blitz your bull centaur who was near the ball. He would mark the ball, which would be as close as he got. This was on turn 20 of 24. You'd follow up with a two-die block by the bull centaur to get a knockdown on the Crocs. You GFI on the ball. So that was a 50-50 pickup on the ball, and you got it. And at that point, it was kind of in the bag. He doesn't have many players left. The ball is back in the hands of your bull centaur. At that point, you had to know you were going to win this game. I felt fairly confident until that GFI pickup worked, though. And that was, it wasn't complete desperation. But at that point, it was basically a thought, if I don't pick up the ball this turn or next turn, and I've got no GFI or uh, no TRRs left or anything like that, if I don't pick it up and pick it up with a bull centaur, I don't know if I'm going to have time to get it downfield. Otherwise, I, if I didn't have that time pressure, I probably would have just got a few more players around the ball, waited. I had player advantage. I wasn't in a lot. The ball was not at a lot of risk of Nick Satan at that point being able to come and take possession of it. Certainly, it's going to put a Saurus on the ball and maybe pick it up on a six. But I was just really feeling that I had to get a move on with it or he might be able to run out the clock and I was going to go to penalty kicks again. Yeah, well, you were able to pull it out. But he again, he started with six players. He ended with four. You would end up scoring on turn 23 of this game. You would win the Chaos Cup two to one. Very well fought game. You had a great bracket. You had a great season. Or, I'm sorry, season. Great competition. Congratulations to your win. I mean, you absolutely deserve it. You played this team very well. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I could probably live without having to play a Lizard team for a short bit of time. I, I feel that my I have a lot of experience now, so I'm good with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, all of... and. I mean, if nothing else, the fact that I basically played three entire games of Blood Bowl uh, in the last two games, I guess one turn shy, one game went to 24 turns, one game went to 23 turns. You know, they were all great games. Only on the last turn of the game, the the final, did I actually feel confident that there was not really anything realistic that was going to happen and I was going to be able to score the next turn. Every other turn in all of the other games, it was just absolutely intense wondering what the other player was going to do wondering how i was going to try to react to what they did wondering whether there was something i was missing whether there was something they missed that i could try to exploit it was an amazing competition it was a lot of fun and these finals were a lot of fun you nick satan el nubrino merrick all showed why they deserve to be in the top four played very well i am terrified of all of you guys in, in these future competitions Speaking of which, the next one coming up in about a month will be the Spike Magazine Trophy. That's the next competition. Mammal is divided into three opens and one invitational. The invitational is the Blood Bowl. That's the big game. The winners of every competition will advance to the Blood Bowl in the upper bracket. And the runners-up will advance in a runners-up bracket, the winner of which who will then advance to the upper bracket. So you've earned a slot with Nehide and Nuffle in the Blood Bowl upper bracket. 
and Nick Satan has earned a slot in the runners-up bracket with a reptile dysfunction. Coaches are not beholden to play these teams the entire season. They can switch it up. Rumor has it you're going to switch yours up for the Spike Magazine trophy. But before we talk about that, let's speculate a little bit on, on Spike Magazine trophy. So as it stands, we, of course, we won't know until registration's in. It seems, I believe, all the current coaches are returning for the Spike Magazine trophy. We might have a few new players as well. What teams do you see staying? What teams do you see changing? I, for one, think these two Lizard teams, we're going to see them again in the Spike Magazine trophy, for sure. And I can guarantee you that my Wood Elf team, they're making a comeback as well. I think Merrick is coming back with his Chaos team. I'm not as certain about the two Underworld teams and the two Necro teams. I'm not sure whether they're playing. I think the coaches are coming back. I'm not sure if they plan on playing new teams, but I think we're going to see lots of Lizards. I think we're going to see more Chaos Murder Ball here in the future. I think we're probably, my guess would be, we're going to be seeing some other people playing towards the bashy meta here. So it would not surprise me if we saw orcs if we saw maybe a an actual dwarf team maybe another chaos dwarf team dark elf something like that it would not surprise me at all if there was even more bash in the spike magazine trophy yeah I, and i think that's going to happen i think the the water cooler talk is that malik's necro team is getting dumped for what i don't know it might be a norse team i think war horseman's team is Elven team is getting dumped, I think, for a Bashy team. And I think you're right. I think, I, d I don't know about any other coaches. I suspect the Undead and the Necro teams might be going away. I know Wenger talked about not wanting to play his Undead team anymore. I'm not sure if Artificial Bunny is going to continue with the Undead team. I don't think Undead's bad. They're just really, they're hard to play, period. But they're also really hard to get started, in my opinion. So we might see both of those go away. If that's the case, and there's so much strength, right? We're, we're left with chaos. We're left with two lizardmen. We're left with possibly your chaos dwarves. You're right. This is a very bashy field. If players are going to go bashy, I have to imagine everybody's going to rethink their kits. I, I can guarantee it. For me, it's already pretty bashy. But if it goes even more bashy, I guarantee you're going to see the wood elves take more, fe uh, not fend, more wrestle, for example. Like... Absolutely. To keep them alive, to eat up the MA, that the Bashi teams tend to be a little slower. Do you think people are going to change their kits to realign against a more, a potentially more Bashi lineup in the Spike Magazine trophy? I have to imagine that they will. Whether it means that every single team is going to go Bashy, I don't know. That would be kind of amusing to see just every team is bash versus bash but it also gives some opportunity for if somebody wanted to play amazon or something like that with dodge and playing a very very different sort of game of getting out and trying to screen out play more elf type ball and try to avoid getting hit as opposed to you know actually bearing down and being super bashy you know it also leaves the possibility that just everyone's going to go full in on bash so you're going to have orcs and lizards and who knows what else uh just loading up on that trying to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these other teams and just having slug fasts yeah, if the Spike Magazine trophy is going to get even bashier, this is one of the odd situations where I might think someone picking up humans might not be a bad counter pick. Humans tend to be not that great. They're, they're jack of all trades, master of none. 
So their their strategies almost always revolve around playing against the weakness of whoever they're playing. If they're against a bashy team, they want to play a little more agile. If they are against an agile team, they want to play a little more bashy. But if they're going to go up against a lot of lizards, a lot of dwarves, maybe even orcs, then they can focus their kit on that agile game, on that running game, on that passing game. And they've got the AG, I'm sorry, the AV to stay alive better than, say, an elven team does. I think if somebody picks up a human team, that might be a pretty, pretty clever pick. But we'll see. Again, humans can be uh, a little tricky to play. The current Spike Magazine trophy champion is me. And I I won it last season with a human team. So it can be done. <laughs> but uh, Absolutely. I, uh, I, I'm really interested to see if people are going to counterpick if it goes strong bashy. I, I heard you might be picking up goblins. I am 100% playing goblins. Oh, so. man. <laughs> Secret weapons all day long. I am excited Secret to see Secret weapons it. and, more importantly, the pogoer. My wife came in one time and saw that I was I was playing a goblin game against the AI, saw me on the pogoer, and was like, okay, if you win with your Chaos Dwarf team, you have to play this in the next thing. And I, this was a while ago. This was before the final started. It was like, you know, one of those things where, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, if I win, no problem. I'll, I'll play goblins. Oh, <laughs> guess I'm playing goblins. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> Look for all kinds of nonsense shenanigans, throwing goblins down pitch, eating goblins, jumping over the front line with a pogoer, lots of chainsaws, depending on how many players uh, start new teams and have low TV. There's the possibility that for against, you know, any of the existing teams that I'll have enough inducements to get Nabla, the star player with a chainsaw, in addition to a loony with a chainsaw. And yeah, my intention is all chainsaws all the time, bribes to keep them on the pitch, bombardiers. My dream would be to get a bombardier with uh, uh, Hail Mary. So I just put him in the back of the end zone <laughs> <laughs> just fire a bomb, you know, into the somewhere in around the opponent every single turn. That's probably a dream. It involves having to roll doubles and all the rest of it. But hey, you know, guys got a dream, and I think goblins are going to make my dreams come true. <laughs> well, I hope they do. Again, uh, we won't get into the super details of the bracket. We explained it, uh, the Blood Bowl bracket, that is. We explained it a little bit a few minutes ago, but you've already qualified for the Blood Bowl. Now that you're picking up a new team, if you qualify with the Goblin team, A, I'll be really sad. But B, uh, <laughs> if you qualify I, I with the Goblin I think that's definitely team, a big if. <laughs> if a coach qualifies with more than one team, they have to pick the team that they qualified the highest with. If it's a tie in the example, in this example, if you were to win the Spike Magazine trophy with your Goblin team, then you would have to pick which team you're going to field in the Blood Bowl. Uh, but I wish you luck. I am really looking forward to some goblin shenanigans. I, I am as well. I, I hope that I can make some goblin shenanigans happen. I have been looking at what all I can do. I think that against especially some of the bashier teams, they can't certainly outbash them, but they can do some stuff that the bashy teams you know, have a little bit of trouble dealing with. So I, I think it will be interesting. And definitely goblins... Goblins are going to get pasted across the pitch, and I'm going to be seeing how many of them I have to replace every game. <laughs> well, good luck to you, sir. Uh, I wish you luck with the Spike Magazine trophy, which will be starting in about a month. 
And congratulations again on your victory in this first competition of season two. Hey, thank you again. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to the uh, Spike Magazine competition coming up here, whenever that uh, gets started. Me too. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviaunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number 2. And watch archived games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other, forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your guys.